We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back, everyone, uh, to episode 10 of BuzzBeat. Uh, I'm Spencer Percy, and as always, along with me is my BuzzBeat co-host, Richie Randall. Richie, what's going on, my friend? Not a whole lot. I uh, went to the game last night against Toronto. It was a good one to go to. Not only did I get a, a blanket, but we probably pulled out our best win of the season. How are you doing? Yeah. yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing a lot better after last night. So last night was blanket giveaway, huh? Yeah, I feel like the only games that I've been to this year have been giveaways. Well, that's a good thing. You're picking the right games, then. Um, yeah, the Hornets—they were awesome last night. And obviously, we'll we'll dive into that a little later. Um, so, again, today I think we're going to discuss. Well, we were kind of planning on honestly discussing some of the recent struggles. Now, uh, it, it's the recent uh, success the Hornets have had with two straight wins at home, getting back on track against Portland. Um, rotation questions we're going to look at. You know, it was this whole Hawes versus Hibbert uh, debate early last week. After two, after these last two wins, you know Roy Hibbert's looked really good, uh, and we will discuss that as well. Um, so does he keep? Does he continue to deserve those minutes uh, and much, much more in this episode? Richie, let our listeners know where they can find us online and also subscribe to the podcast. All right, listeners. Yeah, we have a variety of ways in which you guys can access our content. Just check us out uh, at Blog Talk Radio by visiting BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/BuzzBeat. You can also find us on iTunes. Uh, and you can download the Stitcher app as well, which the Stitcher app is pretty cool because it allows both iOS users and Android users to listen to us. Um, and then again, check out the websites of almightyballer.com for our podcast as well as some other team podcasts. And of course, check out our, our home site, queencityhoops.com, for all our latest uh, content podcasts or, or written articles. Yeah, perfect. So, um, and, and for the folks that, that aren't aware, um, hopefully most of you are right now, you know, we are a member, a new member of the A-Team, um, so the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, ABPN, uh, is easier to remember, so go check out their stuff. Um, I think they're up to 18 team podcasts in that network now and growing uh, by the week, so really excited to be a part of that network. 
Um, all right, so let's jump in, Richie. Uh, so again, you know, it was looking really, really ugly uh, for the Hornets. People were panicking, probably, uh, probably for the right reasons. After five straight losses on the road trip for Charlotte, they come home against Portland earlier in the week, get a big win. You know, look somewhat back to themselves. Uh, but then last night, wow. I mean, talk about going from doomsday uh, to really your best outing of the season against a contender in the Raptors in a 113-78 win. So now the Hornets are back on track. They're back about above 500. They've won two straight. So let's start with the Portland game, Richie. What in that game did you see? Out of all the things I think that they obviously did better to pull themselves out of that five-game losing streak, what, what stuck out to you Um that was, a, you know, really the biggest improvement. Right. I, I think it has to. It has to start on defense. And that's what Clifford has been and preaching the whole time. And we started to see that, you know, a little bit in the Boston game, uh, especially with uh, our leaders, Marvin and Kemba. But it seemed like it was a full team effort come, come Portland. I think we started off a little bit slow. We had to get a timeout early in the game to kind of turn things around. But midway through the first and late through the first, we really didn't turn back. I mean, from from that point on, we're, um, our defense just took a, a huge step up. Uh, we did give up some offensive rebounds here and there, uh, which sometimes gets us in trouble uh, with the second chance points. But there was a clear difference on the defensive end. Um, and even in the fourth quarter, when we had players like Kaminsky on the court and Bellinelli, uh, in sessions, that fourth quarter was great, and it was on both sides of the ball, uh, and there wasn't a lot of offensive rebounds. We limited to one shot for Portland there. So defense to me is the the thing that stuck out. Yeah, agreed a hundred percent. I mean, you hold you know a really good Blazers offense, top ten Blazers offense to thirty five percent from the floor. You know, you force sixteen turnovers, out rebound them. Um, they pulled down some offensive rebounds, fifteen of them, which was a little a little worrisome. The Hornets got better at that last night. Uh, against Toronto but yeah total team effort you're 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 definitely on with that um thought guys just were more focused you know they were just more locked in um you know the help defense was like it usually is uh very good but where I really realized the difference is you know closing out with a hand up sprinting at the shooter chasing Portland off the three-point line I thought the Hornets did a really good job of that Uh, and they obviously bothered the Blazers shooting the ball I mean the, the the contest the closeouts were very solid. Portland ends up going 8 of 31, uh, just over 25% from behind the arc. So a really solid effort overall for Charlotte. You know, Kemba was good. He was efficient, 8 of 14 from the floor, uh, 23 points. You know, I, I thought the Hornets got back to kind of what they do offensively uh, in terms of taking care of the basketball. They only, they only turned it over 12 times uh, and, and finding their shots, okay? They didn't look sloppy. They were patient on, off, on offense when they needed to be. Um, they pushed the ball, you know, in transition when the opportunity came. And again, they just took care of the basketball. So they mo- looked much more like themselves um, offensively in terms of being patient and getting their shots. I think the story of this game, Richie, had offensively at least, or maybe just – Overall, has to be Roy Hibbert. 16 points, 6 rebounds. Let's see here. No turnovers, 2 block shots. He was awesome in 22 minutes of play. Was this the game that he lobbed it to Bellinelli and it went in? Yes. So, I mean, like, when you saw that, you're like, okay, he literally can do no wrong tonight if he's throwing passes into the basket. Right. <laughs> I mean, he, he was hitting mid-range shots uh, for the most part that game, and, and even that pass that was intended for Bellinelli, which was crazy to me why you're throwing a – a lob alley-oop pass to Bellinelli, went in. So you knew it was his night when that went in. So yeah, Hibbert is, has stepped up his play recently, and, and 
you know, it's kind of made that debate between him and Hawes a little bit tougher to uh, talk about. Yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, I let's stay on that. I, I don't know that it is a debate. You know, I, I, you know, I'm going to be honest. I, I was all about okay, let's give Hawes more of these minutes. I mean, Hibbert's just he can't move anymore, and I mean, all of a sudden, um, it, you know, and it has to do with a lot of things, right? Like Hibbert is moving, looks like a lot better here in the last few games for whatever whatever that reason is. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with who he's playing with as well. Um, you know, but he's getting touches. He got touches in the Portland game around the basket. You know, he goes to work on Plumlee where he takes the, the two power dribbles, spins off his left side, goes in and dunks it on the other side of the rim. And you saw the whole bench stand up like, whoa, what did, <laughs> what did we right. just see? You know, I mean, it was, it was, a, a, you know, sending Roy Hibbert back in a time machine there. Um, and he was just, he looked active, you know, he looked springy on, on both ends of the floor and just to just see it go through the basket a few times, make a few plays, it goes to you know it goes to show you how important that stuff is. The guy's confidence. So maybe it was as much with Hibbert, you know, his confidence was so low um, that it, that it was affecting everything. And what people were seeing, you and I and other fans watching the game, we're seeing a guy who just can't move anymore. And and look, that's that's very much true. I mean, he he's got knee issues, and those aren't going away. And his body very well may be breaking down, but you just see him get a little bit of confidence, and now all of a sudden, two straight games of really, really solid bench minutes from Hibbert, and he's making that impact on the defensive end, protecting the basket that we all expected, right? Like, that's why we signed him. We right. needed that rim protector off the bench. But, you know, I noted that, you know, Clifford's now got Marvin in there with the second unit um, a lot, and I think that not only helps Roy Hibbert, but I think it helps everyone. I mean, I mean Marvin Williams, you've seen the bench excel in the last two games especially Frank Kaminsky um, and I think having Marvin in there has a lot to do with it so basically what, what Clifford's done a little differently here since they came back home uh, the Hornets Frank's the first guy off the bench for Marvin then Marvin will come back well, Frank, early in the Frank and Bellinelli come at the same time correct R- right exactly yep you're right so Frank and Bellinelli will check in with and then and then Zeller Batum and Kimball will stay on the floor so really you know, you're not to your bench unit yet, but when you have to go away from Kemba uh, and Batum, you know, Marvin comes back in along with MKG to play with the second unit. So that experiment with MKG uh, with the second unit for so long to help defensively, you know, really wasn't working. And on top of that, the offense was obviously, you know, <laughs> not good. You know, with him out there trying to float the second unit. Now plug Marvin in and... You get both sides, defense and offense. You, you, Right. He, you get both in the ends of the floor from him. And he's just so underrated with his IQ offensively. I mean, the scouting report is obviously still chase him off the three-point line, force him put it to put it on the floor. But I've said this before. He's, he has a very underrated skill set when he does put it on the floor. And, and on top of that, when he, when he has those herky-jerky, you know, two or three dribbles, he gets into the lane – you know, after attacking a closeout, you know, he's going to make the right play, right? Like the shot's not there. He's going to make the pass to the open player. And now the Hornets offense is flowing right now. The bench, the lanes are opened up um, shot, you know, open shots are, are, are there. So he has really been a shot in the arm for the bench. And I would be shocked if Clifford did not stay with him uh, kind of in that role. But I think, you know, again, back to the original point, I think you saw Roy Hibbert really, uh, I thought you saw him benefit from Marvin being out there. Right. So again, my point, Marvin puts it on the floor. He's in the lane. He's kicking it out. He's making the right play. Now the defense is scrambling. Now Hibbert's got some space down there, right, to catch it, go to work one-on-one, and he's not just standing, 
right? Marvin just inserts that little bit of energy into the offense that gets everything moving, and it makes the game easier on everybody around him. Right, and I think what Clifford is trying to do, he's trying to solidify a lineup, a rotation, because the longer we go into this season with this uncertainty of who's going to play well with who— the cohesion's not going to be there, and we want the cohesion to be there uh, so that everyone can benefit on both sides of the floor. So it's it looks to me that, that Clifford favors Hibbert, unless there's absolutely no way he can play them, uh, like against Boston where you know they had those stretch fives, stretch fours, where it was almost necessary for Hawes to be out there. He's going to favor Hibbert, and he's going to try to tinker with the rotations to help Hibbert out because obviously, right. you know, you can't just insert him into any lineup and and it's going to go you know smoothly there. So, I think he's just trying to get everything you know cemented into place. And I think when Lamb gets back, it's also going to be interesting too because I feel like the Lamb injury kind of caused Clifford to kind of tinker with the lineups to an extent. Right. No, I I definitely agree with you. You know, but so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens when Lamb it does come back. But I mean, I, I think that we we have seen, you know, it's a small sample size, but we've seen proof that that Marvin Williams, he's that guy who should be out there with the second unit. He just he calms the waters, you know, on, on both ends. OK, so anything else in this Portland game that really stuck out to you? I mean, you know, Batum struggled, turned the ball over five times, which he did last night as well against against Toronto. You know, Although the Hornets have looked really good in these past two games, Nick Batum has not, Richie. Oh, yeah. I mean, with his turnovers as well, I mean, I, I get that he's getting, you know, assist, you know, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine assists per game, but some of his turnovers are just killer, killer turnovers. Yeah. And I, I remember one in um, Boston late in the game. I know that we're trying to go away from this loss in Boston, but uh, he just, I think he just got the ball stolen from him. Like late in the game, we were down mm-hmm. maybe like five or six points. And then he tries to force too many passes as well. So, like, his stat line, like, if you were to look at it, looks all right. Uh, But then if you look at the turnover column, it's always, like, four or five. He is guaranteed one bad turnover a game. Oh, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, excuse me, I've talked about this, you know, in the past. I've talked about it a lot this summer when I wrote an article or a column on Batum. I mean, that is where he can improve as a player. You know, we've talked about some of the things he can pr- improve offensively, but I mean, the turnovers that that Nick Batum commits are un- the vast majority of them are unforced errors. You know what I mean? So it's not it's not as right. if you know a player he's getting the ball stolen from him necessarily or taken from him, but he's just trying to make plays that aren't there. He's I mean, forcing you saw it. one. He's forcing it. I mean, so you saw a great example was that one early uh, in the game against Portland where he's a quarter of the way up the floor and he tries to throw some bounce pass through what looked like all five Portland defenders. (laughs) And it it obviously got picked off. And you just see Clifford's face on the sideline. His head just drops. Uh, Portland hits a three coming the other way, makes it 18-11, Charlotte deficit. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, I, I know he sees the whole floor and it's kind of one of those things where like you live and die with with that Batum, right? It's a give and take. He, he, it is, you know, like that's the way he plays. But you know, in these last two games, he's just his confidence is is very uh, fragile as well. I would say uh, very similar to to Hibbert. And I think you've seen these last two games. He's he's really 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 forcing. He's pressing um, to get it going, and and he and he hasn't had a whole lot of success. So we need Batum, you know, to to get back to form and play well with Kimba at the same time. You right. really wonder what, what we can unlock as, as an offense if they're both humming. 
All right, yes, yeah, so the rest of this Portland game, I mean, I, I don't think there's too much to touch on. It was just really, really nice to get a win and get back on track. That was the biggest uh, br- you know, relief uh, breathe out that I've had with this team uh, in, in, a, in a lot of seasons. I mean, I felt like uh, if we lose this game at home to Portland. It could be a slippery slope. Well, right. That's the beginning of kind of the end. But that is not the case, far from the case now. Last night, uh, the Hornets get – I would say definitely their biggest one of the season, the biggest statement one of the season, and they get a win against a quote-unquote contender in the Toronto Raptors, a 113-78 demolition of Toronto uh, in the Queen City. Kimba led the way with 32 points, 11 of 16 from the floor, 6 of 9 from behind the arc, 8 assists, 4 rebounds. He made Kyle Lowry look silly. Oh, yeah. He definitely outperformed Lowry. Oh, my gosh. And I was at that game, and he— Every call, and you you saw it on TV, but there was also points where obviously he was in the backcourt. Every call, he was complaining with the ref. I think he got like hit in the face or something like that, and then from then on, he just had it out for the refs. And I'm I'm sure there were some calls that went their way and went our way, and uh, you know bad calls either way. But man, he was on top of the refs, and it was it was constant complaining with him. But you know he's a great player. Uh, same with DeRozan, um, and they play a, you know a good bit of minutes together. And I thought we did a good job of, of holding, you know, them, you know, right around their averages a little bit below, at least field goal percentage. They weren't making a lot of shots, Toronto as a whole. And, yeah. you know, Walker was just amazing this game. I mean, the efficiency at its best, he rarely missed. He shot maybe 68, 70% from the field, didn't really miss from three. And then he only had two turnovers to go with his eight assists. So uh, Walker was amazing this game, and he always came up with some clutch clutch threes that got the crowd excited in this game. Yeah, Richie, a few things. And I tweeted this out last night. You probably saw it. Um, Toronto does this thing that every team in the NBA does that that gets good and gets the, again, quote-unquote contender tag. I, I would not tag that to Toronto personally. I don't think they're anywhere close to that. But um, even in the Eastern Conference, they do this thing where, like, we're a good team, we're respected league-wide, so you know what we get to do? We get to complain about every single <laughs> call. Like the Clippers do it, Cleveland does it, Golden State. Like, I, I, why? I don't. I don't understand it. Like, you you have almost thirty wins. Yes, the the officials are conspiring against you. Of course they are. You know, it, it just it doesn't make any sense. I guess it's more of like a, a an ego thing. Uh, but it but it really annoys me, and it's not just Toronto. I, I don't want to single them out here, but they're the case study since I had to watch it for four quarters last night. Like Kyle Lowry, you got like MKG accidentally like slapped you in in the, the lip or the mouth or whatever it is, you know, fighting through a screen. Like it it wasn't ugly, it wasn't vicious. You weren't bleeding, <laughs> but I can't tell you, Richie, watching that game on TV, he touched his lip like every time yes. the camera cut to Kyle Lowry, he's touching his lip like. Oh, like, can you? I can't believe you missed this. Like, stop. Like, play basketball, man. Quit being a prima donna. Like, I, I just I can't stand that stuff. And it really makes me not like Toronto. I, I don't want to be get all like fanny on everyone right now, but I don't know. Like, it just really annoyed me to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it happening. I didn't realize what happened to him, but I saw that he got injured and he didn't get back on D. He was just moping back there, touching his lip, didn't get back on D. And then eventually they had to call timeout and Lauer's like, you know, why didn't we stop play here? I got injured. So yeah, it, it, it was annoying to watch. It was very annoying to watch. And if I had to bet, I mean, I know that was somewhat early on in the game. If I had to bet, 
he was probably a little bit annoyed, frustrated, whatever you want to call it, that maybe Kemba might have been outplaying him. You know, mm-hmm. you know, both of them are fighting for that all-star spot there, and, I, and they might both make it, but, you know, it kind of took it personal. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Kemba took that matchup very, very personally. He was bitten determined to win that matchup against Lauer, and he did in the landslide. Um, you know, just real quickly, <clears throat> I'm worried. I'm not well worried. It's not the right word, but I was surprised to watch Toronto last night. I, I I did not expect what I saw in terms of a team that looked very much entitled, especially in in their two stars, DeRozan and Lowry. And I'm not really even talking on the offensive end, really on the defensive end. I was shocked at their lack of effort, um, their complacency. Um, you know, Lowry is a good defender when he wants to be. DeRozan, like, you almost have to beg that guy to get into a stance. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know it's like the middle of the season. They're they're in good shape in the Eastern Conference. Um, but they want that two seed, you know, they don't, they don't want Boston to sneak up on them. And I guess I was just a little surprised, like of that effort level from Toronto, like, oh, we got to do a show up or, oh, it's just Charlotte. Like, who, you know, that's fine. I mean, if, if last night is one of those nights that they just enter and they're not locked in, they kind of just take that one on the chin. That's okay. And maybe that's all it is, but this really hasn't been that good of a defensive team all year, Richie. And last night, watching that game, I understand why. Like those guys are not locked in defensively, and if they want to even be in the you know the same breath of a conversation as Cleveland in the Eastern Conference, uh, they've got to get better on that end. But that was just kind of my general thought about Toronto. So, right. if there are any Raptors fans that are, that are listening to this podcast on any consistent level, they won't any longer. You know, Frank, another really good game. You were there. I know the crowd loves Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. Uh, what what did you see from Frank that that was really encouraging? Oh, I mean, he the good thing about Frank was he started early and he produced for all four quarters. You know, you'll have those games with Frank where he might go off for like a, a quarter or two, but this one he was consistent from the get go. He was taking advantage of some mismatches down low. I think you know he found himself with uh, Powell guarding him a couple times, and and he took advantage of that, uh, and then he hit a couple of threes from like the right wing. He was just, he just let it, he let the ball fly. You know, he shot the ball with confidence, something that we've talked about before with Frank that he seems to be lacking at times, and it does affect his play, almost like Hibbert. Uh, very a mental, it's a very mental game, but he lets it affect him a little bit more. But last night, it, he got the crowd going. He, you know, he had those couple of threes that were very, uh, I guess, timely. But he was just, he was just everywhere. And, and on defense, he's doing a little bit better job too, and he, he grabbed eight rebounds last night as well. Yeah, if you can get Frank defensively, if you can get him on the weak side, you know, if you can hide him defensively enough, just get him that weak side. He he is good about being in position. You know, he's not one of those defenders that, you know, is not on the helpline and is not helping the helper. And I mean, last night you saw it. He comes over and he, Damari Carroll or it might have been Siakam. You know, he comes over and gets that really good weak side block that leads to a transition play for the Hornets. Um, so if you can get him on the weak side, he's good. Offensively, I thought that was as you know as as springy of a Frank Kaminsky as I've seen all season, just in terms of his confidence. Right, uh, really flying around the floor, catching the ball at all a lot of different spots on the floor. And I think when you see that happen with Frank, like when he catches it at the nail, you know, he catches it in the corner and it gets an open three. When he catches it at the top and attacks the closeout, when you're seeing Frank catch the ball in different areas, here's what it tells you, Richie. It tells you the offense is in a good flow. Right, he's not standing. He's moving around mm-hmm. the court. The ball is moving around. I mean, Frank's not one really one of those guys that needs the ball in a certain area of the floor. He can operate from a lot of different places. 
So if he's scoring from all over the floor, I think that's always a really good sign that the offense is where it needs to be. And last night you saw that from him. So he's 5 of 10. He's 2 of 5 from behind the arc. Uh, Again, 16 points, 8 rebounds, and a big, big 26 minutes of play. So I have a few notes about MKG last night and how great of a job he did against DeRozan. Um, DeMar DeRozan has been... One of the best players in the NBA this year. Uh, I would say, honestly, I think he's the most improved player in in the NBA. When you go look at his numbers this season compared to really his career numbers, they're off the charts. He's the mid-range king, which, you know, is a dinosaur uh, style of basketball offensively in the NBA. But DeRozan still makes his living from there. And he makes his living from there in a lot of ways because he has – a really, really good ball fake, a really good pump fake that gets defenders on their toes at the very least, but usually in the air. So he gets the line a lot. MKG did a really awesome job last night of staying close to DeRozan, getting over those ball screens, staying right on his hip, getting back in front. And then when DeRozan showed him the ball, MKG puts his hands right in DeRozan's face. When DeRozan brings it back down, MKG's scraping at it. He's bothering DeRozan. I mean, he did I think as good of a defensive job as he has all season uh, on a star player. Right. I would agree. I mean, I think that he's dealt with players like that before that have had somewhat of a mid-range game, maybe not to DeRozan's extent, but Jimmy Butler, he has a mid-range game. And so he's he's dealt with players that kind of work, you know, in that foul line extended area. And he did a great job last night. And I, I'm not going to say that he played badly uh, in previous games, but I feel I feel like sometimes points or shooting percentages dictate whether or not we think MKG has a good defensive game. So like when these stars go off, they could just be having, you know, an on night, you know, and if DeRozan is struggling, he could be having an off night. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that he was having an off night and and I want to give credit to MKG, but like, let's not let the points and shooting percentage dictate how MKG plays on defense. I think, I mean, I think that he's played pretty well defensively all year I think it's just the stars have lit him up. And I, I, I know that I'm, I'm the biggest proponent for MKG's defense, and maybe I'm a little bit overboard, but I think sometimes we let the points dictate whether or not we think that he played good defense. But he did. He did play good defense on DeRozan. No, no. you're Look, you're, you're dead on with your, you know, your crush on MKG's, MKG's defense. Uh, look, not every team in the NBA has a guy that can just go bother you know, the, the best player on the other team defensively for, for the entire game. I mean, they just those guys do not exist in the NBA on, on every single roster. They're very rare. So, you know, to your point, kind of, as much as, you know, MKG gets up to go, up, you know, to defend, you know, the best players in the game, and they seem to get the better of him, you know, these, these really good players hear the defensive hype, sur- you know, uh, surrounded with MKG. And so they get up to burn him just as much as he gets up. So, it's, you know, it's a two-way street here. So it's not like, um, you know, the stars of the league are coming into a game against MKG and saying, or not noticing that he's going to guard him. I mean, they know right. and, and are probably a little bit more motivated to go up against him that night. But uh, I thought he was great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed watching him play basketball last night. And you can see if you can take – I mean, last night was as good of an example as any all season and I, I would think that this film is going to be watched by the Cavs and whoever you know else faces Toronto in the playoffs might be us. If you can take DeRozan out of his stuff, especially from the mid-range, 
Toronto really has very little else to look to uh, offensively. I mean, you know, Kyle Lowry got going a little bit in the second quarter last night, and he can obviously score it, but their offense goes through DeRozan, uh, to me, I think. You know, and, 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 you know, MKG was getting help. I mean, on these little, like, ball screens that almost happened at the elbow, you know, right in that mid-range area to just give DeRozan a little bit of space. I mean, every single guy, Zeller especially, right at the level of the ball screen, so when DeRozan even thinks about coming over that screen, you know, he's got a body right there waiting on him with hands up in his face. So the hands weren't down. I think you even saw Frank uh, when they put him in the ball screen. He was good at that last night. Get your hands up when you're hedging on the ball screen. Don't have him down because as soon as you have him down, that's all DeRozan needs to just go ahead and knock it down. So a, a fantastic team defensive job uh, against him last night. Um, let's let's take a moment to appreciate how good Kimball was. I know we mentioned it briefly, but – Richie, uh, Toronto tried everything on him. They tried to switch. Uh, they tried hedging hard against him. Uh, just about everything else in the book, and there was really no answer. But again, I, I thought Kyle Lauer was somewhat disinterested. But Dwayne Casey tried a lot of different things to slow Walker down, and just didn't have any success. No, I mean he was determined out there last night. Like I said, we were talking about you know him not making the All Star starters, and and he's fighting for his, his spot there, and and going up against two All Stars and the Raptors. He was a very difficult guard, like he is on most nights. You know, when he's hitting his three, it's almost impossible to to, to defend him uh, because when they when they have those those high pick and rolls, uh, if you come out real hard on him, he's going to drive to the rim. And w- if he doesn't get to the rim, he's going to make you know help defenders come off of shooters, and and he'll find those shooters as well. You know, Kimba yeah. Kimba Kimba was amazing, amazing last night. Yeah, I, I mean that play right into the, the second quarter. You know when. The Hornets set that super high flat ball screen for him. You know, I don't know. Like, there's you can't do anything with that because once he gets his speed going downhill, he's just gonna in and out dribble the third defender and get around him and get to the rim. So, like, I don't know. I, I just think if you're a defense, if you're the opposing team, just wrap him up because that's almost like a layup. You know, that's like a transition layup for him. If he, you know, he's gonna break down. You know, if it's a high ball screen, he's going to either get around the hedge defender or he's just going to split it, which he did last night. And when he has that much space going downhill, there is zero answer. So I, I don't know. I, I would be surprised if those, it, you know, those end of quarter plays, end of half situations, that's where the Hornets are going to go to. I'd be surprised if you don't see teams just start wrap Kimba up, especially uh, if they have a foul to get. Right. And he, he just picks up a head of steam there goes right off that ball screen and there's so much space for him to work with and and if if they ever switch man when he gets a big on him it's it's all over all over and I think he relishes having a bigger opponent on him because he'll just break him down oh yeah exactly I mean that's that's the whole like point you can hedge hard on and try to recover but he's just going to split you or go around and still get to where he wants to if you try to switch it same thing he's just going to go by a bigger defender um, so I don't, I just, I don't think there's an answer. I think you just got to wrap him up. So interesting. Kimmel was so, so good last night and so fun to watch him, uh, get the better of Kyle Lowry. I, I really appreciated watching that effort. From hey, Kimba. he only played yeah. what? 28 minutes. You know, he didn't play that third quarter. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Well, so he got, let's see, I think he got to sit like almost the entire fourth. Is that right? I want to say he didn't even, I, I don't think he stepped foot on the court in the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he did either. I'm looking right now. Yeah, so Kim, yeah, Kimba didn't play because he played the entire third quarter. Uh, when you saw the Hornets, I mean, embarrassed the Raptors that quarter, but yeah, he didn't play at all the in, in the third or excuse me in the fourth quarter. So Kim in the third quarter <laughs> scores sixteen points, uh, four assists. God, the guy was incredible last night. It was so fun to watch. Sixteen points in the third. 
16 points in the third. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, the Hornets are up 25 at the end of the third. I, I applaud Clifford for resisting the temptation to maybe, you know, throw him in there with eight, nine, seven minutes, whatever, um, to secure the win. I applaud him for sticking with that second unit and letting Kimba get that rest. Yeah, I mean, we were up 30 with eight minutes left to play. So, I mean, the right. you know, Toronto wasn't going to score 30 in that amount of time and, and, and not allow us to score any. So it was it was pretty much set in stone there. Right, right. I just want to mention it one more time. Marvin Williams, his stats in the last two games, like you don't look at the box score and say, wow, this guy has been incredible. But what he does for this team, again, uh, just in terms of getting us settled defensively, he's as much of a defensive anchor as MKG is. I don't care what anyone says. I agree. Uh, and number one, because of his communication. No one, nobody communicates more than Marvin Williams does. Uh, and talks. I love what listening, hearing him talk, watching the game on TV on defense. And then offensively, he's just a smart player, right? He just he has an underrated ability to attack the closeout, get into the lane, make the right pass, and get the offense moving. He makes quick decisions. The ball does not stick in his hands. Um, so everyone just appreciate what Marvin Williams does, even though his numbers are down this season. He is as important to this team as Kimball Walker and Nick Batum. You know, name your Hornet who's been good. Uh, Marvin is at that level. But I, I think we can say we're, we're seeing an upward trend with him, at least lately. I mean, not even not even the past two games. Uh, the past 10 games, I looked up the stat, and he's shooting 44% from three, averaging about 12 points a game. I don't know if he'll get back to the necessarily the 40% clip that he shot last year, but if he can get up in the up, upper 30s, I think that'll be just what we need from him. And like you said, he is a smart player. If he's not feeling it from outside, he can attack the closeout. And he's getting better at that floater. Sometimes he does short arm a little bit, but um, smart player, very heady player. And on defense, he is just as much an anchor as MKG. And it takes a certain type of player to be a, to be a defensive player. And you, and you see that with the energy that he brings on that end. Exactly, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the uptick in his, his, his efficiency recently. I mean, you know, you're right. He's not going to get to that number that he was at last year shooting the ball, but I mean, he, he is improving. I mean, we we're, we still have yet to see the best of Marvin Williams this season. I mean, I think that's the point uh, of what you're saying, uh, and that's a really good sign. Here's the other thing, Richie, real quick. Last thing on Marvin is, you know, you know it's, it's so refreshing to watch a guy who just got a new contract. Obviously, it's going to be his last big contract in the NBA, and he's playing as hard as ever, right? Like he's, It's all about winning for that guy. And I think that's the case for most on this roster. That's why they're so fun and, and easy to pull for. But there's there's very few guys that at his age that would get that last big contract and say, okay, now I'm going to play as hard as ever, right? Like that's when you kind of like hang it up a little bit. You know, take your time. I'm good, especially in the NBA when your contract's guaranteed. Like I'm, I'm good. You know, I just got to show up, get paid, or, or some something along the lines of that mentality – uh, but not Marvin, man. Not that guy. He wants to win. Uh, he's committed to his team. God, I just love watching that guy. His, his attitude is amazing. His attitude. Like, it is I, I amazing. Think that's where it starts, really, is the mindset behind him. Even when he's on the bench, he's into the games, fully into the games, cheering on his teammates. I can only imagine what the huddles are like or what the locker room is like with him because he probably motivates people. He uh, you know, he encourages them. And it, it, it is refreshing to see that he's on his you know last big contract and he's still playing with the same intensity that he did last year. 100% agreed on that. All right, so I know you wanted to do a little uh, little bit of trade discussion here. 
which is surprising for me, Richie. You're not you're not like a hypothetical guy, so I, I was surprised to see that. But but I like it. Uh, trade discussion is fun, and people like listening to that stuff. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. Um, yeah, I'm gonna let you kind of kick this off. I, I'm assuming you maybe you have some ideas. Well, the funny thing is, like like I've stated before, I'm not I don't like discussing trades or at least hypothetical trades because you can sit there and discuss a trade for hours, and in 99, you know, it's not gonna happen. So. I don't really waste my time with this. I'll talk about a trade after it happens. But I think when we had our five-game losing streak, I guess this is kind of when my idea uh, came to me. I don't know how active we'll be at the trade deadline uh, with the way that we're playing in these past two games. I know it's just two games. I can see Clifford and, and, and Cho you know, holding Pat or at least you know, not being that all that aggressive and making a calculated move. So I, I do, I do want to throw this question out there to you. Who do you think is Charlotte's most tradable player, meaning mm. not necessarily who will get traded, but like who do you think has the most value that we can get back? I mean, minus Kemba, who do you think that could get traded and would have the value to bring something back? Not like a minor trade, I guess is what I'm saying. I right, should do this for me. Tell me who I who's untouchable. Like say you're Amrish Joe, you're Michael Jordan. You tell me who I cannot trade. Okay, you can't trade Kemba, can't trade Batum. So uh, out of the other players, who is the most tradable player? I mean, take into account value, take into account salary, age, etc. Which player do you think that maybe maybe teams are calling for, I guess? I can trade Marvin. You can trade Marvin. Mm. All right, I have a few thoughts here. I think the guy you can get the most value for is Michael K. Gilchrist. I think that his value is probably still, um, amazingly, but but still probably is as high as anyone's on this roster, and, and most of that has to do with age and just overall potential. I think that Frank Kaminsky would be number two on that list. It's close, and I think Marvin would be number three, and again, that's because of age, right? Right. But here's, here's why I ask you if I could trade Marvin. Like, I think... You know, I know like Toronto, they've been this team that's kind of like, should they make a deal? I think they should. Like this window isn't going to last forever. They need a power forward. Jared Sullinger, if you watched him play last night, uh, I think you get like that experiment's not going anywhere. That guy's not good at basketball. He's so out of shape too, man. Uh, he's, he's not good. So that's not going to work for them. I think Marvin Williams can move the needle more for the Raptors than people maybe want to acknowledge. Like, like I, I know the ideal situation that for them is Paul Millsap, but like, I think if I'm the Hornets and I'm Rich Show and I know Toronto's a team that's desperate to get to the next level, right? They're desperate to push Cleveland to seven games and give themselves a realistic chance. I mean, that's what they want to do. That's their NBA finals. I don't know, you know, how they value Toronto values like a Marvin Williams, but I think I would pick up the phone as I was Rich Joe, call the Raptors and say, Hey, look, Marvin Williams, what do I get? Plug him in at power forward. I think he makes you a lot better than, than the national media does maybe uh, or that you know, a basketball fan does. Just But looking at Marvin Williams' box score, I mean, I think he intrinsically and organically makes you a better basketball team on both ends of the floor. What do I get for him? I would make that call. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with the, sa- the same rundown that you had in terms of the most tradable players. I would say the same exact order, MKG, Kaminsky, and then Marvin. Now, I'm not saying that I would trade those players. I'm just saying that, that those are the players that would probably bring more attention with, with other teams. And I, But I, I think the issue is, for us to get anything significant back, 
I almost mm-hmm. feel like we have to attach a draft pick to either MKG or to draft a draft pick attached to Kaminsky for us to get anything significant back. Because I don't know if the teams value those players. I mean, and maybe rightfully so, as much as we do. And I think maybe we could just hold on to them and get more value out of them, you know, heading forward mm-hmm. instead of trying to mortgage our future with a couple of first round picks. So yeah, that, that was my rankings as well. MKG, Kaminsky, uh, and Marvin. But yeah. I, I just don't I don't think we're gonna be all that aggressive. I really don't. And I think unless there's some kind some kind of deal that we can't pass up. No, I don't I don't either, Richie. I, I think you're right. In the end, I don't think we're gonna be that aggressive. But like here's here's the deal for Charlotte. Like they're twenty two and twenty one. The best they're gonna do at the end of the season would be fifty wins, and that seems like a stretch right that's now. A stretch, yeah. Right. But that's like Best case scenario, they're probably going to fall somewhere in that 45, you know, 43 to 45 win window. So considering that, like there's a lot of different moves the Hornets could make. They could make that middling move, you know, Deron Williams kind of move to just try to make themselves a little bit better without having to give up a whole lot. They could make that move like I just mentioned, like if Toronto was willing to be like, all right, Marvin Williams, yeah, sounds good. How about Norman Powell uh, and – I don't know, um, a second round pick or, or Norman Powell and, you know, another contributor. I'm not looking at the roster right now, but like that's like a mini reset. You know what I mean? Like you like you give up a Marvin Williams. You're going to be a worse team now right now this season. But like if you're just going to be a 43, 44 win team anyways, a mini reset, getting a younger body in the door, getting another asset on the back, uh, you know, a draft pick attached to that. Like that's not a bad move to me. Does that make sense? Right. So like there's a there's a lot of different directions the Hornets could go, and then if they want to chase a star, I don't think that's gonna happen. Like I don't think there's there's many stars to be had uh, at this trade deadline. I think that would happen this summer, but they could also explore that. Like there's no trade that they can't make right now, if that makes sense. Right. What about this trade? This this is what I was kind of proposing as our our five game losing streak was coming up. But now I, I really don't think that we should do this. Okay, so this is a trade that we kind of talked about last week with Okafor. Or maybe it was the episode prior. So Okafor is part of this deal, Jaleel Okafor. So Jaleel Okafor and Sergio Rodriguez, uh, their their point guard, for MKG sessions and a first. Wait, so we're... We're getting Sergio Rodriguez, who right okay. now Philly is kind of tink- tinkering with their point guard situation. I think they're going to be sticking with TJ McConnell just because he's a better defender. And I think Rodriguez might only have one or two years left on his contract. A little bit older. He can he can dish the ball. He can shoot from three. So that would be an upgrade over Sessions. We would be losing MKG and his value on the defensive end. Uh, but we would be gaining Jaleel Okafor, who it seems like you seem to be high on. But I don't know if we could do Sergio Rodriguez Okafor for MKG and Sessions straight nope. up. We're we're and we're sending them MKG and a first. That I mean, do you think that they would take MKG in sessions for Sergio Rodriguez and and, and Okafor? I don't know. That that's kind of why I included and, the draft. And pick. a first, and, but wait, in a first round pick, we're sending them a first round pick as well, right? Oh no, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that's, and I don't think that's a good deal for Charlotte. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I, I think they would take sessions and MKG potentially for yeah just straight up Okafor and Rodriguez and I'm still not sure I like that deal for Charlotte like here's I like Okafor in in terms of like 
So let me think about how I can say this. So I like Okafor in terms of like he, he can be a guy who comes off the bench for Charlotte and they can play through, which which I've kind of gone over in, in the you know in the episode last week or whatever it was. But I also like Okafor and his trade value because like for what kind of player he might be, the Sixers are only going to get like fifty cents to the, to the dollar back on him now, right? Because like they flooded their front court. They probably didn't trade one of those guys when they should have. So like the like the expiration date is kind of already passed. So they're not getting a hundred percent of value back for Okafor. So that's why I like him as a prospect. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, I think I guess I included the first round pick because I thought maybe they would ask for that. I mean, I would I would definitely consider it if it was Rodriguez and Okafor for MKG and Sessions. But yeah, definitely wouldn't throw that first round pick in there if I, if we didn't have to. But I was just kind of. You know, con- constructing these things as our our losing streak was was upon us, and I was just getting frustrated. Sure. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think that that's like a totally valid conversation that the two teams could have. What I would say is that, like, if that's what we're going to get for MKG, then I just say not trade him. Like, I think the only way that Charlotte doesn't just like keep running this thing back with Michael K. Gilchrist year after year is if they is if someone values MKG enough to say, here's a contributor. Like maybe even a starter and a first round pick, you know what I mean? And I and I and I don't think that those teams don't exist. I, I think that there are teams out there. Philly is probably one of them. You know, they need young defensive players that value a guy like him and his age. It's still a lottery pick level. Like I, I think, and I think Charlotte is right. obviously one of those teams. You know, but but there's also half the league that says, okay, this guy is what he is. Like he's a good defender, but he's an awful offensive player. And, like, he's just never going to improve. So it, it's been a while since a guy like MKG's come around where I think it's it's just still, I mean, we're into, what is this? Is this fifth season? I think that's correct. Yeah, fifth. Wow. You know? And it's like we don't know any more about him than we knew in season one. And he's just, <laughs> you know, like, he, he's just 23 years old, too. I mean, I know that exactly. that's an excuse, yeah. but yeah. Right. And now, but, you know, he's just 23 years old. He's finally healthy. Like he's played every single and started every single game this season. So like we need that 82 game sample size to really start to. But it's just been such an odd career for him. It's it's a disadvantage for the Hornets because they don't have a lot of answers. It's an advantage for the Hornets though because I think that it, his value hasn't dropped maybe on the market as much as people would like to tell you. So, you know. I mean, you know me from the previous episodes. I'm the biggest proponent for MKG, and I, I would value him higher than most. So I, this is one thing that I just kind of threw out there. Once again, I, I hate trades. I hate the trade machine and, and, and sitting there for hours trying to tinker with it and all. So you're you're in the minority there, Richie. I mean, I've I've sat on my couch for hours and hours and tinkered on that thing. But what does yeah, that so. do? What does that do for you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. That's a great. That's a great question. Actually, what does it do for me? Is it? Nothing, but it's it's fun. It's I don't fun. Know. It's I guess, just fun. Yes. It's fun to pretend. Have an imagination, Richie. Come on. So, all right. So, what else you got for me? You got another fun trade for me to to discuss? No, not really. I I, I that was the one. I just I targeted Philly because, you, like you said, I think MKG would fit well in Philly. Uh, they shoot a lot of threes, so there might be a little bit more spacing uh, in between. You know that that he could cut into. So that was just one trade that I that I mustered up. Other than that, I didn't. I couldn't really come up with any ones that I thought were fair. One player on Philly that I really love, and if we could get him, and it might force us to give up MKG is uh is Covington. I think that Covington's a great player. He's he's a he's a two way player. Maybe not the greatest uh, defender like MKG, but 
He he can shoot the three. He's he is like MKG in a sense that he can play defense, but he's unlike MKG in the fact that he can shoot threes. So I I couldn't I couldn't do my trade machine magic with with Covington and MKG there though. Yeah, I like Covington as a player as well. He can he can score the ball. He hit the game winner uh, last night as Philly pulls out another ridiculously close game at home. I don't know how they keep doing this, but um, he hits the game winner. You know, I think the biggest difference between those two guys is you know, like MKG, the way he crashes the glass and the way he cuts and you know the defensive end. Covington's a nice player, he, but he's not MKG. But yeah, I mean that that's definitely a guy you could plug into some kind of theoretical deal and could come in and make a make a difference right away. All right, so uh, yeah, any, anything else on the trade discussion? Well, last thing I'll say, I just I don't think that we're going to be all that aggressive, and I know that people were clamoring for a trade as as we kind of hit that that uh, five game dip there. Because I think we would have to attach a first-round pick to either MKG or Kaminsky to get anything significant back to help us this year. So I think we're just going to ride it out and, like you said, maybe make that middling trade, that 3-and-D type of player like Courtney Lee that, that could you know help us in the playoffs. But I see I see Cho kind of riding it out with this team. Speaking of Knicks, can we, can we have Courtney Lee back? Because he doesn't want to be there. Oh, he's, we really, he's frustrated. We really need yeah. him. Yeah, I, I was watching that game the other night. I'm like... You're stupid. Why did you go there? Like, did you expect? I mean, he got paid. Like, good for him. I'm not. I think not he stupid, felt slighted like, by us because we didn't make him a priority. You know what I mean? So he he probably yeah. was done with us. But I mean, I'm sure he would happy to you know be happy back on this team. You know, I mean, I don't know who would be happy with the, that New York team. Well, and that's always the interesting conversation in free agency. You know, people want to tell you, well, I, I don't blame him for going and getting paid. Like, good for him. Like, how can you be mad? Kind of like what Bellinelli did with you know sacrificing himself to Sacramento like he he went and got paid but like I don't know like I guess I just like I don't know what it's like to make that kind of money uh breaking news I don't I don't make NBA player type of money but um I, I guess I'm just like I watch these guys and they look miserable you know well, like when they're there and I'm I'm just like all right so is it worth it like maybe maybe down the road it is worth it like if you're saving that money up and investing it and doing all the right things with it but like I don't know I, I guess I guess it's all it's all relative to them because like we we see that yeah, as, as, as a great amount of money that we would like. Okay, why are you, you know, going to the Knicks? You know, and I get that you're getting paid, but I mean, to me, yeah. I, I I would I I go for winning. I would definitely go for winning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if I'm accordingly, if I'm going to make pretty much like mid level NBA money, uh, anyways. I mean, he's, he's slightly better mid level money, you know, but. Like what's a few like what's a few less million dollars to play in a in a in a place that you want to be around guys that you really enjoy playing with? I don't know. I guess I just I'm the one that doesn't get it here. I guess, but anyways. Hey, every team is zero and zero in the off season. That's probably that was the hope that probably they they pitched to him. So, <laughs> right. That that probably is the Knicks free agency pitch. Hey, you know what? Hey, at game one, we're zero and zero, <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> I love that. That's that's the best thing that's ever been said on this podcast. No offense, Nick. All right. So, anything else on, on the trade? That was that was good stuff. No, I think we're good. I think we're good. I, I hate this trade talk. All right. So, also, I will mention if you want to get a good look at what the Hornets are going to have salary cap wise, kind of where they're going to stand uh, going into this summer, the vertical release their uh, their salary cap kind of outlooks. Um, last week on the vertical.com that's Yahoo's uh, uh, NBA website so you can kind of go look at what the Hornets have to play with this summer which is not a lot uh, it's something they can improve the roster they can't massively improve it um, but we'll, we'll talk about that more obviously 
as we get closer to the summer. Um, okay, Richie, is there anything else that we want to uh, that we want to focus on? We covered a lot. We're right at that hour long uh, mark, and it's and it's Saturday, so I want you to go enjoy your Saturday. And I got to go here soon too, as well. Is there anything else we want to hit on? I don't think so. I think that we're both happy that we've gotten two wins in a row, and and we definitely cannot follow it up with a loss tonight against against Brooklyn, who beat us last time out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's uh, – I completely forgot. I'm glad you said that. It is the second of a back-to-back tonight. Brooklyn comes in. I would say ho-hum, Brooklyn comes in. Uh, we should have a chip on our shoulder against them anyways with that brutal loss we had at the butt with the Randy Foy buzzer beater in Brooklyn uh, the day after Christmas. But it's a little, it looks different now, Richie. They scored 143 points in New Orleans last night. And they and they what did they score on us last time? It was it was what 120, I think. Yeah, I mean like they they can score the ball, um, and they they push they the ball, uh, you know, with tempo and, and get up and down the court, and they chuck a lot of threes, and they don't necessarily make a lot of threes, but they do chuck a lot of them. So, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting game, uh, up and down, I think, and I think that we will come with a chip on our shoulder. I think the fact that we're playing at home, I believe we've won eight of the last nine at the Spectrum Center. We're we're gonna. I think we're gonna get a revenge tonight. And I think it might be an easy win for us. I would agree with you. Uh, the Hornets just is just one of those games where look, you, you're you're playing against a team that has some confidence right now. So that's the first thing. But really, at the end of the day, it's just one of those games. The second of a back to back. It's a game you should win uh, against an inferior opponent, and you just got to really dig deep and come with the same intensity that you came with against Toronto last night. The same focus. I know mentally you're tired. Uh, you know, I know physically you're not as ready to go, you know, on the heels of back to back, but you, the Hornets just got to dig deep. They got to keep this thing going. It's more about momentum more than anything else tonight, because guess what, Richie, right around the corner next Wednesday, guess who comes rolling into Charlotte? Curry. Curry and Golden State, which is if the Hornets, the Hornets can get to that game, winners of four straight, all of a sudden, wow, what an opportunity uh, to kind of show, because that game's on national TV as well on ESPN. What an opportunity to show the NBA, look, we want in that conversation. You know, I know these are five straight home wins after five straight road losses, but, you know, we've beaten some good teams here at home and we want in that conversation. So exciting stuff coming up for the Hornets. Uh, Richie and I will be back next week. We're not sure what day yet, but, uh, but yeah, keep an eye out for that. All right, perfect. Uh, make sure that you're following me on Twitter. I am at QCH Spencer. Obviously, make sure you're following Richie. He's at Richie Randall. If you enjoy this podcast, then you're definitely going to enjoy the content on our site. So that's QueenCityHoops.com. Please go check it out. I had a column last week uh, about the Hornets' recent trends. A little bit more negative as they were coming off five straight losses, uh, but all good stuff on our website. So make sure you're reading us. Um, and also make sure you're following Queen City Hoops on Twitter. That's at QCH blog. Uh, and lastly, follow this podcast. If you like it, follow it on Twitter. That's at BuzzBeat Podcast. We are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, and you can check out all of their awesome stuff and all their awesome team podcasts at AlmightyBaller.com. Richie, one more time, tell the folks where they can find us online and subscribe. Once again, you guys are able to listen to us on the computer or in the car. Uh, whether that's through the Stitcher app, through uh, the iTunes app, just search BuzzBeat in both of those and download all the podcasts to date. We've hit double digits now. We're on episode 10. And please rate and review us as well. Uh, that would be great. Greatly appreciated. And we wanted to thank the listeners for all the support that you've given us so far. Uh, thank you very much. 
All right. Awesome. Uh, Let's keep this thing going, folks. Until next time, we'll see you. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.